this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, we always talk in church about how we're going to go to heaven when we die. But is that really the biblical way for us to think about heaven? Is it really about my eternal destination? Or is there something more going on here? If it is, in fact, your eternal destination, don't you want to know as much about it as you possibly can? So we're continuing this series called Superstructure. We're trying to build our house. My hope for us is that we will build a house, that each of us will be building houses that stands through the storm. And I'm convinced, much I'm sure like you are convinced, that the storm is no longer coming, it's here. We can see it all around us. We can smell it in the air. All the effects, I was just watching this morning um, about thousands and thousands of people marching uh, for the right to murder babies. You know, uh, just watching as, as we continue to do everything we can do to thumb our nose at God and to tell him we want our way, not your way. Uh, the storm is here and it's likely only gonna get a lot worse. And so will your house stand or will it fall? I, I, I'm doing this series sort of to kind of help us understand a little bit of worldview stuff. And so I'm answering some questions that some specific people have asked me about several things uh, because I want us to build a solid house. I don't want us to build a theological slum. That's the way I've kind of thought about it. I want us to build something strong that will stand so that you, so that your family will stand through the storm. So we started off talking about the big picture. You know, why did God create the universe and everything in it? And we kind of zoomed in on creation and we talked about what he did and what does creation reveal to us about God himself. Uh, we talked about a whole bunch of other stuff. We talked about the word of God, the truth of the scripture. And uh, last week we talked about hell. Is hell for real? All these messages I hope have been really helpful to you. I, I really hope they're helping you build your house. If you've missed any of them, they are all available on our website. Uh, they're available on Facebook. They're available on our podcast feed for free, and they're on YouTube. They're kind of all over the place for now. For now, I say that for now, because, because as we're talking about all these really important worldview things, who is God and, and what do we understand about God, this series is gonna kind of morph into, after, after next week, it's gonna morph into, well, what is the practical application of all of that? in our lives and in our world. And so if we're gonna talk about our worldview, we must talk about how our worldview intersects with the culture today. So after next week, we're gonna start talking about things like abortion. What does God really say about that? We're gonna start talking about things like gender issues, debt forgiveness, and some of the other 
cultural touchstones that we've got right now going on. And I know I've said it for the past couple of weeks, prepare to be deplatformed. Um, I don't know that it's going to happen. Our reach is so tiny and so insignificant, it may not matter. Uh, but I believe they're starting with the bottom first and shutting down dissenting talk. Um, and so, who knows? These messages are all available to you now so that, so that hopefully you can build a strong house. But they may not be around much longer. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I hope you'll be part of all that no matter what. Today, we're going to move. We talked about hell last week. We're going to talk about heaven today. What even is heaven? And so, is that cool with you if we talk about heaven a little bit? I mean, if you, if you ought to talk about heaven somewhere, it ought to be church. Am I right? It seems like you talk about it, but we don't really talk about it so much. Sort of like hell. We, we kind of know that one glad morning when this life is over, right, we know that I'll fly away, right? I can't stand that song. I, I'm sorry. That's, that is my least favorite Christian song just about ever um, because I think, I think it just really, it promotes a bad idea of heaven. Let, let me kind of explain a little bit. You know, what, what even is heaven? I'll fly away. What are we going to do? I, I think we have a lot of misconceptions about what that looks like. So just don't answer out loud. Just think about this for a second. Let's pretend that your five-year-old niece or nephew looks up at you and says, hey, Janet, what is heaven? And I bet most of us would answer something along the lines of, well, heaven is where we go when we die. And while that's true, that's not the biblical message about heaven. And I want to look at that today because I think all of us kind of have misconceptions about what heaven really is. In fact, recently, uh, a great American artist was commissioned to uh, take everybody's common popular opinions about heaven and to create some artwork to kind of represent how we thought about heaven. And here it is right here. <laughs> okay, great American artist, Farside. Anybody a big Farside fans? Yeah, I love the Farside, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the idea of heaven for most people is that we are going to float on a cloud, we'll have a halo and wings, and probably play the harp and be bored out of our skulls forever. Doesn't hell, or sorry, doesn't hell, doesn't heaven sound like a, a boring place with this mentality? I mean, so here I sit, 1,000 years on this cloud, 2,000 years on this cloud, we kind of feel like heaven is a boring place where we're missing out on all the action. I, I just wonder for the common mentality about heaven, is heaven really a lot more like hell than it is about heaven? So I want us to kind of rework our thinking a little bit today. I want to kind of look at what Scripture says, and I want to try to redefine what heaven really is, and I promise you, I promise you, I'm going to answer about one one-hundredth of the questions today. Um, I mean, there's so much material in the Word of God, and there's so much stuff that's been written on this good, good stuff that I can barely even scratch the surface. So I, I'm actually considering extending the heaven talk to next week also uh, to describe it better. Um, we'll see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Can we see how it goes? Okay. So I want you to rethink this in your mind. Sorry for the flashing lights. 
um, but rethink this in your mind. Instead of heaven being the place we go when we die, I would like for you in your mind to redefine heaven as this, first blank on your page. Heaven is where God lives. Heaven is where God lives. It's God's space. So there's a difference. It's subtle and not so subtle. The difference between heaven's where we go when we die and heaven is where God lives. That first one, heaven's where we go when we die, that's a real me-centered view of heaven. That makes heaven kind of about me. It's sort of my destination. But I want to reorient your thinking to where you put God in the center of heaven, where God is the one whose domain that is. It's really important for us to rework our head around this. <clears throat> is heaven a real place where God lives? Is it a real place? I, I've had people ask me, I, I think it's just a state of mind. I think heaven's gonna be what I love the most. God's gonna make something for me that I like, you know, it's just a state of mind. Or is it a real actual location? Well, scripture's actually pretty clear about this. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Heaven's where he sits and reigns. In Acts 7, 55, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. So God on his throne, Jesus standing next to him in the place of honor. The throne has to be in a place this is a real location that we are looking at here. Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he said, pray like this. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy or hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Soon may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will, God, be done in this place like it is done in that place. And of course, Jesus is very clear with us on this, right? Jesus says this. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, what I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus himself goes to prepare a place, a place that requires preparation. It's a place. It's a house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we can football. play football. Okay, we've got three audio adrenaline fans in here. Wow, early service was much more on that. Wow, wow. They're old, is that what you said? <laughs> They're old? Oh, wow. Wow, first service, the moldy oldies like me. Okay, wow. All right, Petra, thank you, Petra also. So Jesus is very specific that heaven is a real place. And think about it. What is the first biblical representation of God's space? It's the garden. That's right, it's the garden. The first place that we see the place is in Genesis 
It's the garden. This is an amazing place. It's not simply, a, you know, a, a spot with rows of corn. You know, I mean, the garden is this, is this place where God and humans live together. This is huge, isn't it? God and humans, they walked with him. They saw him. This was a place where God and people could commune together. They spent time together, walked in the cool of the day together. This is an amazing thing. It's what God designed, and it brings him great joy to be with his people. Heaven for God, or at least God's space, is where he lives with his people. In fact, the next blank on your page is this. The garden is he is God, and we are his people. That's what the garden was all about. That's God's original design for this world and he was very pleased with this arrangement he said it was all good and his dream was that man would subdue the earth that that eden would extend outward and always be conquering that wild wilderness it would all come under god's authority as it came under human's authority and that man and god would live forever there's something about there's something about God and man together that brings great joy to God's heart but then something happened right then something happened all of a sudden human beings decided to stand with the accuser who said God's holding out on you God doesn't really deserve to be God you should be God you should ascend to the same height as him. Don't listen to what he says. You take that one fruit of the garden you're not supposed to have. You take that thing and you, you become God just like him. We bought it. We fell for it. And in that action, we accused God of being not worthy of being God. And it was in that moment that we rebelled against him. We became criminals against a holy God. And this act separated us from God. Now there is this separation between God's space and man's space. Right now, God has his space and we have our space. We were banished from the God space, never to return again. And we have to work out our existence in this world by the sweat of our brow and by the pain of childbirth, right? We're just doomed to this existence as it is. And you know what? This rebellion doesn't just affect us. It doesn't just put us under God's judgment and God's wrath. It also affected all of creation. I mean, you've never seen this world the way it was intended to be. You've never seen this world the way God actually originally designed it. We've only ever caught glimpses of the disaster that it has become. Yes, it still has beauty. Yes, it's still amazing. Yes, I got to spend some time earlier this year uh, in the Maasai Mara and see the elephants up close, the lions up close, and look at the beautiful, beautiful wilderness out there. Unbelievable. But yet still, here's what 
Paul writes in Romans 8, he says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, all the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You know, you can look around and see the results of death and decay everywhere, right? I mean, I look in my own backyard. We moved into Kusawati, beautiful woods all in the back. And then the storms came through about a year ago and I lost all these trees. And now I got these big, ugly root balls sticking up and trees down and I, I've just kind of lost. I can see the results of death and decay. We see it in our culture all around us, don't we? We see it as our best efforts to establish a nation built on godly principles has devolved into this mess that we are living through today. Am I right? We see it all around us. And I wonder how must God feel about all this? If his dream is for us to be with him, for us to be united with him, to walk with him in his beautiful, perfect creation, how must he feel about this? So God wants to do something about this, right? He wanted to do something, so he enacted a plan. God called a man out of Ur. Remember his name? Abram, that's right. Abram is the man God called and said, look, Abram, I know you don't know me. I know you don't have a Bible to know anything about me. I, I, know, I know it seems like the God space and the man space are too, too far apart, but I got a plan. If you'll get up from where you've been living and go to where I'll show you, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. I'm gonna establish something with you and your family that will succeed you and you will become a little God space here on earth. You will become this. If you'll come to this place, I'll show you. God had a, a place already marked out where he intended to do this. Today we call it Israel. Then we called it Canaan. And he has even a place, sort of a, a headquarters place lined up. It's this mountain there in Israel called Mount Zion. He brings Abraham. Abraham follows him, obeys him, and comes into Canaan, comes to the very mountain. And you can read the story. It's kind of a long story. But what ends up happening is with famine over time, the family of Abraham, it begins to grow, but because of the famine, they end up sort of hiding out from the famine down in the foreign land of Egypt. So they hide out here for a while. And just like everything in this broken world full of death and decay, their status there devolved and they went from being honored guests to oppressed slaves. And for hundreds of years, they found themselves as slaves there, crying out to God, please save us from this disaster. You promised God, you promised our father Abraham that you would save us from this. So God hears their cry and he sends Moses, right? He calls Moses, says, okay, I want you to deliver the people. And sure enough, God miraculously delivers the people out of their oppression, out of their bondage. He delivers them out of Egypt. He rescues them from their oppression and he makes them free people. 
He leads them out and he, he gets them out there. He says, okay, now I've done all the work of rescuing you. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Okay, so do you want to enter into a relationship with me? Do you want to become now my people? And they're all like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We want to be your people. Whatever you say, that's what we'll do. Sort of. As long as it makes us happy, as long as it fills our bellies, you know. But they, they started a relationship. God established a covenant with these people so that they would be his people, so that they would represent him here on earth. And God knew he was going to lead them to that promised land, that holy land, the place where he had marked off as his space. Finally, to Mount Zion, where they would ultimately worship him at the temple, the place that God would one day dwell. But that wasn't going to happen for a long time. So God tells Moses, as they are forming the covenant, he tells them this in Exodus 25. He says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can, look at that, live among them there it is again God's desire is to live among his people so they build the holy sanctuary what do we call the holy sanctuary the traveling tent the what Tabernacle. They built the tabernacle. God was very explicit with his instructions on how to, be, here's how wide, here's how long, here's how many posts. You'll make it out of this kind of wood. You'll, you'll use this kind of cloth. And inside it, you will decorate it in this way. And it's amazing what he chooses to decorate his tabernacle with. I mean, there's elements of worship there uh, that you have, but all the adornments, they are flowers, you know, and creatures. Even the menorah there evokes a memory of the tree of life. It represents the tree of life. When you come to the tabernacle, God wants you to feel like you're returning to Eden. You're returning to God's space. You're coming back to his original design. So he has them build this holy sanctuary so that he can live among them finally there is a place where man's space and God's space can overlap with each other in fact it's what God says in Exodus 25 22 he says I will meet with you there and I will talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant for there I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. You can almost hear the desire in God's voice. There I will meet with you. I will live among you. He wants to be with his people. Right in Leviticus 26, God is talking again to Moses and he says, I will live among you. I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the great desire of God to be with his people, for God's space and man's space to overlap together once again. He desires the garden all over again. That's the way he designed it and that's the way it should be. But you know, it wasn't perfect. 
It was sort of a temporary situation. The tabernacle ultimately did become the temple and people worshiped God in the temple. But as is the case with everything in man's space, things devolve. So the worship of God devolved and the temple was destroyed in, what was it, 586 B.C.? To be rebuilt later on by um, Herod, it was rebuilt by Jesus' day. Uh, but then worship was just kind of an act. It was kind of a farce. God's presence wasn't evident like it had been before, leading the religious leaders to be, well, Pharisees. You know, leading the religious leaders to have all the form but little substance. And so God does something new. And when describing what God does, gospel writer John makes this amazing connection. Kind of hard for us normally to think about this in our Western minds, but he makes this amazing connection where he goes all the way back to Genesis as he's describing, re-describing what creation really ha it was when it happened. So in John 1, he starts off his gospel saying, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So he goes all the way back and he attempts to retell this story with the most famous words of all in the scripture, maybe at that point, in the beginning. And he's connecting back to that time. And he's saying the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. Now, we know that he's talking about a person, right? When he says the word, who's he talking about? Jesus. So why didn't he say Jesus. Why does he say the word? Why in the world would he call Jesus the word here? And I just got to think about that for a second. Why do I use words? Why do you use words? When you use words to synchronize up with other people, to explain things, you and I, human beings, use words to express ourselves. We express ourselves best through words. So what John is saying here is that the Logos, the word of God is Jesus. The expression of God is Jesus. God chooses to reveal himself and to express himself through this word, Jesus. Are we tracking on that? So in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, with God and was God. Let's go on to the next part. He says, he existed in the beginning with God. Now he's saying he. So we know what Jesus' pronoun is. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be talking about that next month. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. <clears throat> the word gave life to everything that was created. So in other words, Jesus is part of the act of creation. He's the one that brings life to everything and his life brought light to everyone. So in creation, the light of God comes through Jesus and illuminates the world. But now, 
Now, John is saying, the light shines in the darkness. At one time, there was light for everyone, but now there is darkness. But God sent his word, Jesus, and now that light of the word shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I saw an article this week that said that Christians would be in the extreme minority in the West in just a few more years. We're dissolving fast. Does that mean the kingdom of God is gonna go away? Does that mean the light of God is gonna go away? The darkness can never extinguish it. This world is dark and only getting darker, but it can never extinguish the light of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> so John connects Jesus to this very act of creation, that original design of God's space and man's space being one together. And then a little bit later, that same passage, John says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. I love this. I love this right here. So the word became human and made his home among us. John chooses a word here <laughs> that I love. When he says made his home among us, he actually says the word became human and tabernacled among us. John is being very clear here that Jesus is the God space designed to come here and to create a space where God's space and man's space can overlap because Jesus is 100% God and he's also 100% man. So finally, God's space and man's space has a point at which they intersect and overlap, finally. And I love the way John summarizes Jesus's ministry here in the first part of John verses 16 through 18. It says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Am I right? Amen. Amen. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. And look at this. He has revealed God to us. He has revealed God to us. Jesus is the God space and man space. And what does he do? He comes here, God in the flesh, and he walks among us. He touches the untouchable. He loves the unlovable. He teaches about the kingdom, revealing God, and he heals and he restores and he changes hearts. This word of God, the God space slash man space comes and he creates pockets of God space all over the place. He's leaving a little bit of himself behind. In other words, next mic on your page, Jesus creates the God space. Jesus creates the God space. He did it in the beginning. That's what John tells us that it was through him that the light came to all creation and now he's doing it again. That's what he does when he touches you. Am I right? That's what he does when he touches you. You once were spiritually dead. You were in the darkness. There was nothing light about you at all. You were a criminal against God, a terrible sinner, and it was all about you. 
If you ever thought about heaven then, you thought of it in terms of, well, that's where I hope to go when I die. And you never thought about it in terms of who it really belongs to. Right? You were once a criminal against a holy God, but then Jesus came and he touched you. He came and he touched you and he changed everything about you. And scripture says that you are now a new creation. All the old is gone and the new has come. Right? That you are now spiritually alive. You see the world very differently and you have become a light bringer along with Jesus. That's what he does when he touches your life. Am I right? So here's what, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians about this. He says, we are his, sorry, we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. You are now the temple. The temple, the dwelling place of God is no longer a temporary building. It's in you and it's in me. Everywhere you go, you are a light bringer because you have the light living in you. Is it possible that God's already planted a little bit of heaven here and it lives at your address? You're here to bring a little heaven to earth. So what should that look like? How should that affect the way you raise your kids? How should that affect the way you relate to your spouse? How should that affect your work ethic? How should that affect the way you talk to people in your neighborhood? How should that affect the way you use your money? How should that affect the way you do everything, including stop behind the person at the roundabout who thinks they have to stop even though there's no one else to be seen? <laughs> Heaven isn't just for then, it's for now. You hear me? Heaven isn't just for them, it's for now. God's purpose in Christ is to begin the work of restoring this world back to himself. And one day it's all gonna be his. Is he restoring it in you? Is he bringing this world back to himself through me and through you? But let's fast forward to the end. Let's just fast forward to the end because I know I got to deal with this before we run out of time. We still have to deal with that whole eternity of clouds and you know harps and halos and wings and everything. We got to deal with that. Is that really what heaven is like? I want to be clear that heaven is first of all focused totally on the person of God. When we go to heaven, it is going to be one long eternal worship service. And I know for some of you, you're like, good grief, I gotta sit down after the second song. Are you kidding me? And the lights flashing and everything, come on. But it ain't gonna be like that. We're not all gonna be in a congregation singing songs forever. That's not the way it's gonna be. Jonathan Edwards said in a 1733 sermon, in 1733, he said this. That was two years before I was born. <laughs> he said, God is the highest good 
of the reasonable creature. And the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can ever be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. You know, you think about the nicest hotel suite in the nicest hotel building in the nicest city, and that's nothing compared to being present with God. He says, fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are all but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams here in this world, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. So in other words, heaven isn't about us. Next mic on your page, heaven is about him. Heaven's about him. It's about glorifying him. He's the centerpiece. He's the focal point. It's not about where you go when you die. Uh, the goal isn't so much getting you there. It's getting him here. He wants to live among his people and walk among his people. In fact, that's exactly how it will all play out. At the end of everything, God is going to restore the heavens and the earth to their original design. This current earth will disappear, according to John in Revelation, and there will be a new earth. I don't believe it will just vanish and God will create something new. I think he's going to restore what is already here. And there will be that new heaven and that new earth. And then the capital city of the new heaven will be the new Jerusalem. It's a wonderful city. It's 1,400 miles across and 1,400 miles deep. It's a giant square, huge, massive city. And that's where we will live and reign with God forever. And I know some of you are going, good grief, I moved to LJ to get away from the city. <laughs> Hate the city. Anybody here agree with me? Can't stand the city? I can't stand the city. But all you've ever seen is a death and decay city. All you and I have ever seen is a man space city. Try, good luck, try to imagine a God city. Try to imagine a city where there's, there's no sun, no moon. All the, all the light comes from the glory of God. Try to imagine a city where there's no traffic. Amen. Amen. Where there's no crime. There's no rape. There's no murder. There's no homeless problem. There's no drug problem. It's a city where there's no nightly news telling you how bad everything is all the time. Probably no media at all. That's what I'm hoping for. This will be a God city where we will live with him in beautiful peace and harmony. It's the garden all over again, but now in the form of a city predicted long ago all the way back to Isaiah 51 the Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins the desert will blossom like Eden her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord joy and gladness will be found there songs of thanksgiving will be in the air in Ezekiel 36 I will bring you back and he's talking to people coming back from captivities but he's also talking about something more he's saying I'll bring you back this former wasteland is now the Garden of Eden, 
The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and are filled with people. In Romans 8, with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And of course, in Ephesians 1.10, this is the plan that at the right time, God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Heaven is a place where we will live with God in peace and joy for once and for all. We will rule and reign with him in that beautiful place. It will be a city full of thriving activity. You will be fully you and you will experience a life full of purpose and meaning. It's not going to be some disembodied existence where you're floating on a cloud. In fact, Randy Alcorn in his very helpful book, Heaven, says this, a disembodied existence would be boring, but the reality of our bodily resurrection puts boredom to death. Imagine the animals that zoologists will that day research and play with or the flowers that botanists will study gifted astronomers and explorers may go from star system to star system galaxy to galaxy studying the wonders of God's creation if we think life on the new earth will be boring we just aren't getting it take a closer look at God and his word and all the thoughts that will be bored in his presence will vanish in that day God's perfect plan will be brought to perfect completion. He's going to restore everything to the way he intended it to be in the first place. He will be vindicated among the heavenlies and we will all finally acknowledge that he alone is worthy of being God and we will finally live with him and he will be pleased. <clears throat> I like how John describes I think the emotion of God in Revelation 21. He says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne. What would make God shout? He shouts, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And the one sitting on the throne also said, look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, write this down for what I'm telling you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. 
praise the Lord. The whole idea of heaven for God is that we will live with God here. We will live with God here in a perfect place with no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears. Do you long for that? Do you long for that? It's wired into you. You long, you long for that. I love going to the Great Smoky Mountains. It's one of my favorite places. I go there several times a year. I just try to get up there and be in, you know, the nature. I do the hikes to the waterfalls. I love doing all that stuff. And, you know, the Great Smoky Mountains is a specific designated area where you can't build anything. But you get one second outside of that area, and what do you have? Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. And, um, you know, I, like, I usually stay in Gatlinburg. I like Gatlinburg. It's nice and all. But holy cow, what a disaster that place has become, especially Pigeon Forge. I mean, you can't get through there in under an hour. You go on an event weekend, like this past weekend, they had the rod run up there, and people were talking about how they couldn't get through Pigeon Forge in less than three hours, sitting in traffic. It's kind of a mess. You've got beautiful nature on one side of the boundary, and you got death and decay on the other side. But God's dream is that that God space and man space will finally be one. And there won't be all that traffic, and there won't be all that mess. It'll just be us and him. And we will live lives of purpose and intention and direction, and we will be with him forever.